Well, good morning, friends. It's uh, so great to be back home in Oxford. Um, Debbie and I have really enjoyed um, our time here, uh, first in Harleston with the gang down there, who are kind of a transplant. It's a bit like a s- strawberry plant that sends out runners and something grows. Uh, it's wonderful to see what's growing down there. And then at Transform, how many of you were at Transform? Yeah, well, you look like you clean up pretty well. That's uh, great. And uh, to be in your homes, to have time with you, um, to hear your hearts, um, to experience your warm, open hearts uh, towards Debbie and me has been, um, well, I don't know how to express our appreciation and our thanks to you. It means a lot to us. Um, It touches us really deeply. It it makes us feel at ease uh, amongst you. We don't have to be... Debbie was saying, I wonder what happens to the big shots who come here to speak. Do they get stuck in a hotel and they never get to see anyone? How sad that is, you know? Uh, Whereas we're just ordinary folks, so we get to sort of mix and, you know, have a cup of tea with you and be in your homes and all of that. And that has been such a a delight. So uh, thank you uh, so very much. Uh, After we leave here, we're on our way to Europe uh, for a conference with our agency. As many of you know, we work for an organization Uh, that has a passion for uh, Muslim peoples to come to know Jesus. Uh, We want to invite all Muslim peoples uh, to follow Jesus. And we do that with love and respect. Uh, But we believe Jesus is is the way. He's the answer for every every heart. Uh, So we'll be meeting with um, uh, over a thousand of our colleagues who will be coming in from different parts of the world, from some of the most unsettled, uh, disturbed, um, dangerous places, and uh, so they'll be weary, uh, some of them, and struggling in certain areas. Others will be disappointed. Others will be exulting at the breakthroughs that God is doing uh, in the Islamic world. But that's what's before us for uh, the next uh, 10 days. Uh, and then we, uh, unfortunately, have to go back to, uh, to Southern California, where we live 15 minutes away from Disneyland. <laughs> and you can hear the fireworks go off at night at about 9.30, uh, spot on. Uh, so it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Um, within a 45-minute radius of our home, sorry to say, you can have the mountains, the desert, or the beach. Uh, it, it's, it's your choice. Somebody's got to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, we, didn't, we didn't ask the Lord to send us on from Oxford. I mean, someone told me who in their right mind would leave Oxford if they were living there. Well, um, you, those of you who know me know I'm a rather unbalanced uh, fellow. I believe in unbalanced uh, Christianity. If Jesus is alive truly risen from the dead, uh, and he died for every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. What's this bit about balanced Christianity? You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's, pretty, that's a pretty unbalanced um, belief to have, and um, the risen Christ kind of throws your life off balance a bit. True? Anybody experience that? I mean, on the other hand, uh, there is room for uh, keeping all of things in Scripture uh, sort of um, in some kind of, uh, of, of harmony. Um, if we uh, get unbalanced in our fellowship, um, the obvious uh, happens. Um, if we're unbalanced in our outreach, um, we kind of get ahead of ourselves and are a bit ungangly. Uh, and um, if we are unbalanced uh, in our instruction and in study, uh, we can become uh, wise and heady. Um, if we're unbalanced in service... Um, well, um, that's, that's called burnout, and gosh, there's quite a few of you who are kind of like that guy. Um, and um, if we kind of forget who we are, um, we're, we're sort of unbalanced in our identity. We're a little of this and a little of that, and I'm not quite sure who we are. Uh, I know over the years uh, here at OCC, we've talked a lot about being missional and I know that there has been this transformation in a way, and you're still on this journey of being missional and pushing things out and down and out to missional uh, communities. And in some ways, it's, uh, it's kind of like, I think it was uh, Steve Thomas years ago talked about turning the sock inside out, uh, being turned inside out. I, I thought about having an object lesson and borrowing Andy O'Connell's socks, but I wasn't sure uh, if he had washed them since Transform, so I thought I'd better uh, forego that. But... To get a, a proper sense of our identity and mission is so important. Um, 
And I want to talk to you a little bit about um, our missional identity this morning with some thoughts from Psalm uh, 84. Um, most of you know this is our passion to see people come to know uh, Christ. Um, but all of us, um, it's possible on our journey with the Lord to get involved and be doing so many things that we kind of lose our way. So I'd like to talk about three of my favorite places in uh, my journey uh, in mission and hang these thoughts on uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Psalm 84. If I've shared any of these thoughts before, forgive me, it's just the same lens, sorry. So um, perhaps it's kind of like listening to Steve Thomas speak on Isaiah 54 and lengthening your stakes and stuff, right? But we keep going back to certain places. Have you ever found that? And God has you camp out uh, in, certain, uh, in certain scriptures. Uh, this is, uh, this is the uh, business card of a poor chap uh, from, uh, from Venice, Italy, uh, Augusto Salvadori, uh, who you can see his uh, job description uh, listed on his business card. Poor fellow. He's in charge of tourism, but he's not only director of tourism, he's in charge of the promotion of Venice's tradition, history, and culture. And as if that were not enough, he's also charged with the protection of the town's propriety and cleanliness. And if that were not enough, he's also in charge of the prevention of wear caused by the waves in Venice. Good luck. Uh, And then um, they also stuck him with the job of street signage. Now, that is a bit like Andy O'Connell's business card. But, you know, you wonder how a guy like this keeps his balance and remembers who he really is on his journey through life. Sometimes I'm reduced to the last of of uh, Augusto's uh, jobs here, street signage. Um, I either need a sign that points me to Jesus. That is the function of signs, isn't it? That you need someone to kind of point you to Jesus sometimes. Or to be reminded of my role of being in charge of street signage as well, to point people to Jesus. That's the whole point of a sign, isn't it? Um, That's the whole point of miracles, signs and wonders point people to Christ. The church, the greatest sign of the kingdom that there is. Yuns, as we say in Pittsburgh, PA, where I grew up. You lot. Um, The greatest sign of the kingdom is this new society indwelt by Holy Spirit. There's something different about you because, well, because he's here. That's a kind of street signage that points people. We have to balance this role of being the ecclesia, the called out ones, the called out people of God, with apostolos, the sent out uh, people of God. On the one hand, set apart for God. On the other, sent out an apostolic role, sent into the world. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So Psalm 84 is a psalm of pilgrimage. And uh, it, in some ways, for me, describes some of the special places on the journey with God through life. Um, And that, of course, is the challenge that we face, learning how to walk with God wherever he has placed us. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the Enoch style. You remember the quizzical character in, uh, in the book of Genesis. It talks about Enoch uh, who walked with God. And he pleased God, uh, Hebrews tells us, because of his faith. And then one day um, he was no more because God took him. And he's one of these guys that just, he was walking with God and then he vanishes. It's like, you know, God says, hey, why don't you pop over to my place and uh, I'll put the kettle on and You know, Enoch was no more. He was gone. And that's what's before us, isn't it? Someday God's going to say that to you. Come on, come to my place. And we have this life to learn how to walk with God. And when you get right down to it, that's what the Lord would require of us in whatever setting. It's not about workplace or church place or anything. It's about walking with God wherever. So my three favorite places on on this journey... Um, derived from Psalm 84 is, first of all, uh, the nest. The psalmist starts off, and you have to picture a, a pilgrim band that's journeying to Jerusalem. They would go up to Jerusalem, of course, for the feast days. And so they would journey together along the highway, making their way up towards uh, Zion, up towards the temple. 
And here's the song that they sing. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul yearns. It, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. A place near your altar, O Lord most high, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. That passion for Christ, a passion to know God and to be near God. I sometimes think that our, our relative silence about Christ with others is due sometimes to the fact that, well, maybe he's not as real to us as he needs to be walking beside us. We talk about those we love. How lovely is your dwelling place? The sense of passionate love that the psalmist had for God. This longing to know God more. That's many times the cry of my own heart. I know the Lord, but I want to know him more. My soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. This sparrow that finds a home, and this, is, this has always been, it, it kind of brings a smile to your face if you think about it. Here we're talking about the temple courts. And he says that even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, uh, where she may lay her young, a place at your altars. Now imagine the temple of the Most High God, um, gilded panels. But there's this bird flying around the king's center, you know. And who's going to take care of the bird? Um, here the psalmist said, well, you're quite at home. Make yourself at home. Um, the swallow can make a nest for herself. And, you know, when we were in Pakistan, um, our kids had birds, parrots, green parrots. And they would let them loose in their room sometimes. And they would just sort of mess on the walls you know, as they would fly about. It was Pakistan, and we just painted with real glossy paint, so it was washable. But, um, you know, birds can kind of make a mess when they flutter about. And, and to know that God can handle our flutterings, um, our anxiousness, our worries about the future. God can handle your anxious fluttering. God, God can even handle the, the messes you leave behind, which is kind of what birds do. Um, he can handle those messes. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. And that speaks of that place that God gives us. Um, it's a place to be near God. Uh, it's a place of safety. It's a place where we can feel at home with him. Um, it's a place where we can be nurtured. It's a place of fruitfulness. It's a place where she could lay her young. Um, a place to belong. That place is near God. I, Moses was, uh, was asking God to... He wanted to be near God. He wanted to see God's face. And God said in Exodus uh, uh, 33, He said, there's a place near me where you may stand upon the rock and my glory will pass by. The psalmist puts it, there's a place at your altar. To Moses, it's a place near, near me where my glory will pass by. God is inviting us today to come to that place near him. Do you need a nesting place today? A place near God? It's there. And this is what we invite others to. A place to belong. God said to Paul in uh, Acts chapter 26... I'm sending you to them, to the Gentiles, that is, the nations, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Now, pause there. Let's have no illusions about what it's like apart from Christ. The people you see walking on Corn Market, and in the mall, um, or in the, in the cafes, they're smiling and having a good time. But let's remember what's really going on. When what's going on is going on. I'm sending you to them to turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. If we scratch and sniff below the surface. There's sadness there. There's brokenness there. There's the, the kind of 
decimation and ruins of where Satan has gone and trod and battled the human soul. And apart from Christ, you lose. And that's what people are experiencing inside. We have to know that so that we're not taken in by the illusion of happiness or even the words that speak of fulfillment when we know, according to Scripture, how God views the human heart. People need a place to belong. I'm sending you to them to turn them from darkness to light, to power, Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins. And that is truly amazing. Forgiveness of sins, that load that comes off of our backs. And that weight of sin to know there's grace. And we walk with that and we wake with that every day. When you wake up in the morning, God's smiling at you. He's not scowling. He's not angry at you. He's smiling. You're forgiven. You're loved. But we not only receive forgiveness, we receive a place. And this is striking to me. This was part of the gospel. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That means that there are those who don't have a place. Well, in New Testament times, those who did not have a place were the Gentiles. They were the non-Jewish peoples. The only ones allowed into the temple proper were the Jewish people. They had a place. They were God's covenant people. To them were the promises, you see. They had a hope and a future. The Gentiles, they're without hope and without God in the world. That's what the Bible says. Without hope, without God in the world. The good news is that through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, he made a place for everyone. He ransomed men by his blood, so it happened at the cross, from every tribe and language and people and nation. So the doors are now open for Gentiles, the non-Jewish peoples, from every tribe and language and people and nation, for those who would believe to come in and, well, if they find a place right here. And, and there's another spot beside Simon. Another spot here and another spot in front of Allison. There, there's places, you see. Why am I excited about missions? Well, in part because, well, I found a place. I didn't used to have a place. I didn't feel like I belonged. If any of you are, you struggle with that belonging, a sense of belonging, feeling sort of out of whatever group is in, or rejection, or sense of abandonment. When you come to Christ, you have forgiveness, you have a place near God, but you've also got a place in His family. There's always room for more. There's always room for another chair at the kitchen table. As someone has said, the, the church should be like a kitchen table. There's a lot of people, a lot of food, a lot of noise, and it's just relaxed and easy. Don't worry about the linen. Just enjoy yourself. Church should be like that. But there's always room for more. And when we look upon the nations, why? Why should we be excited about that? And why should that be a part of the vision that we have even while we're here? Because there's always room. There's a place. It's part of the gospel. There are those, even some of my friends, it's like, you know, it's all about Jesus. You just, you get Jesus and you know, don't worry about church or Christianity. Excuse me. You know, if you love me, you'll love my wife, Debbie. You know, uh, you can't have Jesus without his bride. You know, you can't say to his bride, you G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. You know, you just, <laughs> if you know of Jesus, you, you receive a place. This is good, good, good news. Now, it might not always be a place at the King Center. I mean, we're not going to get everyone in here. There'll be a place, and there'll be multiple places that will spring up around Oxford and far beyond, right? We want to see multiple places of gathering, but you receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, and that's Yun's, you lot. Um, well, the second favorite place for me is the valley. As the pilgrims journey on, it says, happy are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. They find strength in God. Have you discovered yet that the Christian life is an impossible life to live, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? It's designed that way. Forgive people who offend you? I mean, who can do that? Who wants to do that? Naturally speaking, you see. 
the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. That's the whole design. That's what makes this so different from the, the faith of Muslim friends, for example, who there's no power there. There are, there are laws. There's the Sharia law and conforming to, for them, the pattern of their prophet. But there's no power to do it, to live up to even, even the highest ideals that they would have. No human can do that. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul knew this. He said, we proclaim him striving. To this end, we, let, uh, we proclaim him uh, admonishing every man, teaching every man, so as to present every man, every person perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, striving with all the mighty energy he inspires within me. The strength of God. Now, in the Hebrew, um, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It's actually difficult to translate, and depending what version you have, it'll, it'll kind of use different kinds of words. The, the word highways to Zion, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, it's also a musical term. So in one sense, it refers to in their heart, they're, they're purposing. They have a sense of purpose. They're, they're journeying. And that, that says something about what should be in us to keep on walking with God, keep on in our journey. But it's a musical term translated in other places. So in a sense, it's the, in whose heart are those songs of Zion, the songs of the highway that we have in our hearts, the songs that we sing here, they go with us. As they, well, I mentioned just one of the, this is a church that's in where we used to live in Peshawar, Pakistan, on the northwest frontier, uh, right near the Afghan uh, border. Um, This was a church built in mid-19th centuries uh, in the shape of a mosque. And you, as you go inside, you see scriptures written on the walls in multiple languages, um, in Hebrew and in Greek and in Persian and in Arabic and inviting all to come in and it's right alongside the main sort of highway that goes into the city and then crosses all the way over to India, the Grand Trunk Highway. And it was placed right near the gate of the city, uh, right across from a Mughal uh, garden and a little stream called the the Bada River, which is said to have healing uh, properties. Um, There, many paid the price to bring good news. They learned how to walk through the valley, in that case, Peshawar Valley. And as you walk through the British uh, graveyard, the cemetery there in Peshawar, you see the memorials to some great saints of God who, who served faithfully, who went through the valley. The psalmist speaks of going through the valley. There are different valleys in Scripture. You can, we could talk about valleys this morning if we wanted to. There's the valley of decision that's mentioned, and we all face many of those points day to day and in our lives. There's, um, there's the valley of the shadow of death, those fearful times and fearful places when we discover that thou art with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. But here's another valley that's referred to in our walk, and it's the valley of Baca. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize that this road that we walk on takes us up those inclines and hills, but also into valleys, multiple valleys. There's not just one. It's not like you go through the dark night of a soul and then suddenly end of that. Um, No more darkness, no more fear, no more dry spots or anything else. No, there are these valleys. And the psalmist speaks of going through this valley that is called the Valley of Baca. Now, scholars um, talk about there's, there's no literal Valley of Baca that we know of in the Holy Land. So it's probably figurative, uh, poetic. Baca means uh, weeping. This is speaking of going through those dry and difficult places in life, times of suffering, times of trial, times of dryness. And he's honest about that, and I love that. And perhaps that's one reason I keep coming back and camping out at this psalm sometimes, because it gives me some encouragement that it's okay to go through these valleys of baka, these valleys of weeping and 
What the psalmist says is, as they go, as this pilgrim band passes through these dry places, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. And the Hebrew is beautiful because it's, it speaks of going through the valley of Baca, and the early rain covers it with Baraka, with blessing. So it goes from Baca to Baraka, from weeping to blessing. But notice what's in between. You have the springs. And so you have them journeying through these difficult places and they're weeping. But as it were, as they're weeping, as their tears fall to earth, it calls forth springs of water from the earth. They make it a place of springs. And as those springs come forth from the earth, welcome refreshment on our journey. Then heaven answers and the clouds release their rain and showers of blessing come down. And now about you are not simply springs, but pools of baraka, of blessing all about. And do you see the three sources of water? There's the rain and there's the springs and there's the tears. And I found in my journey, they they all go together. Part of our work is to oversee and to coach workers on the field. Northern Afghanistan, Pakistan, people in other places. I remember one time getting an email 15 minutes before I went in to lecture a a, a group of undergraduates on cross-cultural work. And the the email was from one of our workers in southern Afghanistan asking, "Um, Len, um, how do you know when it's time to evacuate a city? Okay, now how do you advise someone on that? But they go together, you see. The places of weeping and of stress, of dryness, but also the springs that we find and the rain that comes with that that answers from heaven. Baca leading to Baraka. And it's as if when our tears fall to earth, they call earth answers with springs. And earth answers tears and heaven answers earth. And together there's a refreshment that comes even in the valley of Baca. John Piper said that it's through our afflictions, not in spite of. It's through our afflictions that Christ is presented or displayed to the world. I think as a church we have to ask ourselves, are we preparing people, students, our youth, our children, with a spirituality of the road that will give them the resilience To walk through the valleys of weeping in life. And then to see in those hard places, springs be called forth. With faith that heaven will answer. Heaven will answer every tear. With blessing. I don't know where you are today. Perhaps some of you are in that place. You may be seeing more water come from the tears falling silently on the pillow at night. Then from the springs, and you're longing for the showers of Baraka, of blessing to come. But I assure you, keep walking, keep walking. This is his promise. For every tear that you shed, he, he sees, he collects them in a bottle. There will be springs of water that come forth. Are we willing to walk through the valleys of weeping with those who are weeping? It may not be you going through that valley. And the courage to enter into someone else's weeping, suffering, travail of soul, the hard place with them, that kind of empathy. Not only with those that are easy to love inside the church. Well, maybe not so easy to love. Depends on what day of the week it is. But those outside of the church who needs someone to talk to who will stop and listen. I was struck by what Phil Nora shared at Transform. He mentioned something that he had heard about sharing Christ, that in a given day you, you meet 30 people or so, um, and out of those 30, uh, there may be two of them that really need someone to talk to, to listen to them. And our task, our challenge is to find those two. And that requires a certain alertness uh, of heart. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. 
There's a sense of growth and development. Debbie deals with uh, students who are at the seminary level, helping them to grow in their relationship with Christ. She spends all day and hours each day, I don't know how she does it, um, helping them to be honest and recognize the valleys that they're going through, the dry places, and to find in those places God, loving them, accepting them, meeting them, going from strength to strength, from glory to glory, being transformed into the image of Christ. The third special place is the door. Now, this section of the psalm, the psalmist kind of just lets himself go and just begins to release these, what some would call arrow prayers, uh, quick prayers up to God. It's an assortment. There doesn't seem to be a major theme to these prayers, but it is fascinating to see. On the one hand, he says, Oh, Lord God, uh, Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And, and so here's this call to prayer to, to make this journey with God, this missional journey with God, walking with God, a time when we're, we're actually talking with him regularly on the job. And sometimes it's quick prayers. Some of you find that, particularly moms, it generally... Your, your quick prayers are very powerful while you're washing up. It's okay. Um, you know, if you're praying for us, for example, I'll, I'll take the quick ones as well. That all helps. It's all good. Um, oh, Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O oh God of Jacob. And then he prays for the king. Behold our shield, O oh God. Look upon the face of your anointed one. It's a prayer for the king and those in authority. But for you, it might be on this journey, remembering to pray for others. A role in intercession, blessing others who are going through difficult times, again, within the community of faith or outside the community of faith, neighbors and, and co-workers and others that we might hear, asking God to shine his face on their face. And then he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness and Again, they're on their way to the temple, and he's contrasting this place near God with being out and carousing and some other place that he could be. And he'd rather be a doorkeeper, and that's a pretty important job, actually. It was a lowly job, but it was an important job because you're keeping the riffraff out of the Holy of Holies uh, in the temple. You have, to, you have to sort of be alert. Somebody's got to stand at the door. We'll circle back to that. And he goes on, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. Perhaps where you are today is just needing to recognize how good God is. He is our king. He is one who does give favor and honor. And perhaps you're asking God today, Lord, I need favor. Pour out your favor upon me. Or to pray for others that they might walk in favor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. God, our provider in times of need. Maybe it's financial stress to know that God will provide all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Which is a requirement for the journey. But if you'll allow me, focusing on the door for just a moment as I start to bring this in for a landing. How important that door is. Think for a moment of the qualities of the person that helped you to find Jesus. What were they like? Just think about that person. Maybe it was a, a roommate at university. Maybe it was a neighbor. What was it about them that made them special? I think of the man that I first heard the gospel from, a, a man named Pete, Pete Weaver. Um, he used to run a youth ministry in, in the high schools in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And uh, when I heard Pete, that we had a lot of fun together as you know, young people. We did that, all the games and all that stuff. And, and then he talked about Christ. He didn't talk very long. It might have been a 10-minute talk. But I just remember when I looked up I had tears running down my face and everybody was ready to sort of play and have games and all of that. I thought, did, did, did you just hear what he just said about Christ's sufferings and his love for, for every one of us? And it was like, well, I had to quickly sort of embarrassingly wipe the tears away, but something happened in those moments. I heard something that I hadn't heard before. 
And I talked with him, and I had friends that would talk to me about, about God. And then there was the day when I went off across a little uh, stream. We call them a, a creek. Some call them a creek. Uh, into a, an open field, uh, sun splashed and with my guitar and book of poetry and a little notebook to, to write in and, and a New Testament that I'd bought for myself. And, and there in that field, I said, God, I want to know you. I'll follow you for the rest of my life if I can know you, knowing God. How thankful I am for the doorkeepers in my life, those who were there willing to help to show me the way in. It's possible for us as, as Christians to go so far in to the house of God that we forget what it's like outside. In Pakistan and Afghanistan, every home has, has a wall around it, usually about an eight-foot-high wall and a gate and then you usually have a gatekeeper. We call a chokidar. The chokidar is the guy that sits by the gate and opens the gate. That's his job. Now, you could call him a security guard. Um, we had one. Uh, Habib, he was about that high, uh, fairly toothless. Um, he, would, he would sleep very deeply at night. Um, but he loved us. He loved our kids. Uh, but he was the chokidar. He was the gatekeeper. And when we'd come home... The voice outside or a little tap on the horn when we had a vehicle, you know, Habib would hop to it and then he would open the gate when a guest would come. It was Habib's job to open the gate and to see who was there and then to come and sometimes he'd have them stand, if he knew them, they'd stand right inside the gate and he would come and alert us that, that we had a guest. And then I would come out to the gate and Afghans, you know, they watch your face very carefully. They watch all of your body language. If there's the slightest little wrinkle in the, in the forehead, what they call the tanda, the slightest little wrinkle that suggests, or if you were to look at your watch like that, it suggests that actually you're pretty busy, will probably be the last drop-in visit they will make uh, to, to your home. But you normally then, it's salam alaikum, and then all of the greetings that go on as you welcome the guest in. How important to have someone at the gate to welcome people in. How important to welcome people at the gate and then draw them in. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, the psalmist said. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than, than to live in the tents of, of wickedness. And we would have people to our home, as many of you have done. We've, we've uh, been so touched by the, the hospitality that we've experienced. It, it was in those places that, that we could give them a taste of what it would be like to walk with God. There's a story that's told in Pashto, the language of Afghanistan, about a Sufi saint, a Muslim mystic. The Sufis were, were mystic. Uh, and his name was Bestadi Bostani. And he was walking along, this holy man was walking along the road with his disciples, and he sees this small child that's just crying and crying. And so the saint uh, goes over to the child and picks the child up and then wipes the tears away. And he's, why are you crying? And the child says, you know, mommy has locked the door and I can't get in to the house. After comforting the child, he puts him down and then the saint goes on and then he begins to start weeping. And this disciple said, why are you, why are you crying? Well, the saint has leapt ahead in his heart and made a connection with God. And he said, what if God were to close to me? the door of his mercy. Where then would I go? There are many who are outside the door of God's mercy. That most important door in the world. Some of them don't know there is a door to know God. Some of them, as one poet has described it, are, are groping along the wall like blind men, trying to find the door if there be one. And to find the handle that only opens at a man's own touch. And sometimes what they need is help finding the handle to let them in. That's what happens outside of here. Looking for those, being doorkeepers, being alert. Now, I don't accost everyone that I meet, but there's something about being alert so that we're not just looking at the world, but we're seeing. And not simply seeing people, we're perceiving you know what I'm talking about? Looking a bit different at them. And being alert to those moments that do come up. Uh, this morning, I, was, I got up early and I came down a bit early and I, I went down, uh, walked a bit, got a cup of coffee over at the railway station before I 
wander back over here. And my Bible open, and a lady was walking by. She said, oh, it's so nice to see someone reading the Bible. I said, yeah, it's a really good book. And she stopped and chatted with me, and, uh, you know, she she was from uh, uh, Cardiff, and obviously knew I, I don't know how she figured it out, but she knew I wasn't from Wales, or from around these parts, but uh, we had a nice little chat, and she walked off and came back five minutes later, what's your name? I want to pray for you this morning as you're over there speaking uh, at the church. She noticed someone, and just in those moments, just, just said something. I'll close with this. I was at a, a men's uh, gathering uh, some months ago in the States. We, do, we have this, one of the things that happens in churches, they have special meetings just for guys. It's kind of a guy thing. And if you feed them, they will come. It's just how it works with, with men. And uh, they have them on Saturday mornings. Uh, and, uh, and then this was a special meeting held once a quarter. And it was kind of an outreach event, outreach event. And several churches went in on it together. And in Southern California, you can do things outside. Because it's, it's like, it's always sunny, you know. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. So, you know, we were having this massive feed, you know, a lot of food. And guys were invited from multiple churches as well as guys that didn't know the Lord. This is when you bring them in. And then there was going to be a talk. Well, I was standing there, uh, you know, because you, you put all the food out on the table and you're standing and eating. And, and I, I met this fellow and started chatting with him. I never met him before. Um, and uh, I asked him what church he went to. He said, uh, he said, oh, I don't go to church anymore. I said, oh, what happened? I sensed there's just a little, you know, sometimes there's a little frayed thread there. You just sort of grab that little thread and just, just pull that a little bit, just, just, just ever so slowly. I said, oh, what happened? And he says, oh, people in my church said that just fighting with each other and then they got down on the pastor and he wasn't a very good leader anyway and, and I just got tired of the whole thing. So I just stay at home. I just, you know, I just... Talk to God at home. That's my church. I said, oh, man, that's, that's really hard. I've experienced some pain from, from church as well. You know, I've got scars from other Christians, and most of them are on my back. So I understand, you know, it's kind of how Christians fight. But, uh, boy, that's too bad. Um, you're not having any fellowship or anything uh, like that. I said, uh, I said David, um, when's the last time, why it's out of this question, I don't usually ask this, but when's the last time you actually felt the presence of God in your life? And uh, immediately, boom, without a hesitation, he said, 18 years ago, interesting, 18 years ago when my daughter was born, they said my wife and I couldn't have children, but when my daughter was born, what a special moment that was. I said, Dave, you got a father's heart. I said, that's really neat because that's, that's really what God is like. I said, that's part, of our, that's part of our challenge to find out what he's really like. And I told him what I did, you know, working with Muslims, helping them to discover what God's really like and how God has often told me in fact when I came from Pakistan uh, when we moved here I mean our hearts were broken some of you prayed us through that time I wept I think I woke up every night when we lived over in Marston every night you know for three months weeping uh, with a broken heart for leaving Pakistan but you know God saved us from ourselves in some ways Um, we needed we, we were weary it was like an old tennis ball that wasn't bouncing very high anymore you could throw me against the wall but it wasn't bouncing very much uh, and I remember the Lord spoke to me during those years. He, he would sometimes take my face in his hands and he'd say, Lan, look at me. Look at me. I'm not like them. The them meaning, you know, leadership that wasn't very kind, uh, unfair practices that I'd experienced in Christian organization. I'm, Lan, I'm, I'm not like them. Look at me. So he just takes your face. And I shared that with David. I said, sometimes the Lord had to do that with me. It helped me to focus that he's a father. And I'm learning that to see him more and more as he removes the veils from my face to see him as, as father. And I shared that with, uh, with David. He told me in the course of our conversation, he was a policeman, a retired policeman. He'd been a policeman 19, 20 years. I said, wow, that's really a hard job. I said, you, you see a lot of pain and hurt and trauma and stuff. What, how do you deal with that? He said, ah, he says, we just, we just learned to stuff it down. You know, I said, do you process that with any, anyone, what you've experienced? So I keep you know, finding the, the, the threads, you see, so pull, pulling on that. And uh, he said, nah. He says, I haven't cried in years. I said, wow. I said, you know, David, I lived on the Afghan border. And uh, one of my friends over there, he's, a, he was, uh, he's an army ranger, so he's a medic. Uh, he's had 13 concussive injuries 
Uh, I met him at a previous men's meeting. He tried to tell me that he was doing okay and didn't have any trauma. Uh, then when I told him the kind of work I was in, then he confessed. He says, yeah, I've had 13 concussive injuries, and man, I'm just railing off on my kids and stuff. I said, look, dude, we need to do breakfast Saturday. Come on, let's get together and talk. Well, he's now in the path of healing. Well, anyway, with David, I, I said, you know, we've got to process our, our stuff. And, uh, and then in those moments, as we talked, I said to David, first again, I sense God wants to say two things to you. Uh, you're big on the prophetic here. May I encourage you to turn the sock inside out, get it out there. You don't have to announce it, thus says the Lord, but just deal in the prophetic. Get, let God guide your thought. I said, one, God wants to show himself to you as his father. As father. He's not like your, his dad was a marine sergeant. Can you imagine his view of God? I said, he's not that. He's not like them. He's a father. And second, I'm hearing these words, David. Officer down. Now, I need to explain that the words officer down, those of you who are into cop shows on TV, I don't know how it works here in the UK, but when the call goes out over the police radios, officer down, it means an officer has been shot, wounded, injured uh, in, in the course of duty. Every police officer out there within sound drops everything that they're doing. They're drinking coffee, having a donut, they drop it. They go. They just, everyone goes. When you hear the call, officer down. Everyone runs, drives to their assistance. You don't want to be in the way of a, of a police car when the call has gone out, officer down. And I said to David, I'm just hearing these words from Jesus, officer down. And he looked at me, and there was this flash of recognition. He said, yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that before. He said, a lot of my friends are dead, um, you know, in the line of duty. So, yeah, I understand that. I said, David, no, look at me, man. You're not getting this. Jesus is looking at you and saying, officer down. And at that moment, David, who hadn't cried in years, began to weep. Tears, I mean, it wasn't sobbing, but just tears pouring from his eyes. His lips began to tremble. His hands were shaking. This went on for 20 minutes as we continued to chat. As he realized, I said, look, David, Jesus is looking at you and he loves you so much. That, we've never met before, but that's why I'm here tonight. Because he loves you. That's why he's brought us together. We've never met before, but it's because God so loves you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to heal some of that stuff inside. And he just kept wiping. He said, I'm so sorry. I never do this, you know. I said, it's okay. It's, it's, it's cleansing for the soul. It's all right, David. Now, friends, I've never seen David again. Now, he texts me. He lives about an hour and a half, two hours away. He's very busy with his work now. He's a detective. But he sends me these long text messages. I don't know why he doesn't use email, because they're very long text messages. <laughs> but, Len, I was thinking of you. just want you to know my life has changed. My wife sees a change in me. He says, I feel like there was this huge gorilla on my chest, and now it's been removed. I, I'm really a new person. I'm going to church again, and I'm, and I'm meeting with a group of guys, and we're studying the Bible together. I'm still, I'm still not perfect. I'm still working on stuff, and got a lot of stuff in my family to sort out. You know, we had years that, you know, we kind of messed up, but we're, we're starting to get it together a bit. I just want to thank you for, you know, and then he would go on. That's what he does with me. Every once in a while, every couple of months, I get this note. Never have seen him again. Now, friends, look. I know you're working on your neighbors and your colleagues and all of that. But stand at the door throughout your day. It's the person you meet in Starbucks or, my preference, Cafe Nero. It's Italian coffee. Or wherever it is that you go or hang out. That, that somehow there will be in the meeting of the eyes. You just connect. Or a moment that you have to ask a little question. It's kind of like... Well, it's kind of like Debbie the other day came in. I, I really am wheeling this up to the gate. Debbie came in the other day. She had gone to the charity shops, which she loves to do. It's one of her hobbies when she comes here to Oxford. She kind of has a root. I'm, I imagine they were all greeting her with hugs. But in any case, she came home with this little bit of china that she found. And, and, uh, and you know, I looked at it. And as I often do, I kind of look at the edges to see if it were chipped or nicked. And I just take my finger. I don't know if any of you do. I just kind of ran my finger around the edge of that um, piece of china. Actually, I do it with, um, with cups, too, when I buy coffee, because, you know, there's that little seam right there, right? And if you're going to put your lid on, you want to put it on in such a way that you're not 
putting the, the sipping part near the, the, the sink because sometimes it'll drip on your nice shirt, you see. So, you know, I find where that is and then I put the lid on a certain way. It's just one of these silly little habits, but that's what we do when we're talking to other people, you see. Another believer or someone who doesn't know Christ that you've just met. It's just listening with ears of love, loving them with your eyes, loving them with your face, paying attention. You're, you're there. You're engaged. You don't know where this is going to go yet, but you're kind of feeling around the edge of their soul, looking for the crack, the little broken place where Jesus wants to come in and touch and heal. Now, we're going to go get some tea and coffee in a moment. This is your homework. Everyone, take the cup, and I want you to at least do one little circle around the rim, okay? And say, Lord Jesus, this week, would you lead me to someone that I can listen to and talk with and feel around the edge of their soul to find the nick, the crack, that broken place that you want to come in and heal. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. That's where Jesus shows up. Standing at the door. That's our Jesus. Let's pray together. Thanks for your presence here this morning. My brothers and sisters, my friends, your sons, your daughters. We're all on this journey, Lord. I pray for those this morning here amongst us. How many of you need to kind of find your way back to the nest, a place to belong, a place near God? Just as your eyes are closed, just kind of reach up and say, Lord, yep, here I am. I I just want to, I need, I need to be near God. I need to find a place. Go ahead and reach out to him. Just say, yeah, Lord, I need, I need the nest. I need some nest time. I need to take more time away from my busyness to find a place near your altar, a place near God. Yeah. Grant that, Lord, this week. How many of you are going through the valley? Um, you're not sure anybody's seeing your tears. And you want to see God transform that into springs and you're waiting some of the refreshing that will come from his presence in the valley. You're in the valley today and you just want, you want some of the refreshing. Just kind of tell God, just raise your hand to him, not to me, just to him. Say, Lord, yeah, here, here I am, Lord, going through the valley of Baca. Lord, make it a place of springs. Make my valley a place of springs, God. Cause my tears to bring blessing, God, to others into my own heart and walk with you. Yeah. And then for doorkeepers. How many of you would (laughs) like to be a doorkeeper? Saying, Lord, use me. I'm willing. Lord, give me an opportunity this week to stand by the door and help someone know that there is a door and maybe even help them find a handle. They got to turn it, but I'm willing, Lord. Use me. Yeah. Let's stand together, friends. As we close. Holy Spirit, come, fill us again. Fill us with your love and your presence. Lord Jesus, help us to know you as the God who walks with us on this journey. Thank you for the place near you. Thank you for walking with us through the valleys. Thank you for standing by the door. In Jesus' name.